0: Hey everyone and welcome to the Sunny Go One Piece podcast and again I apologize my voice is a little dead again because uh, I was at the Mariners game but unfortunately this will be the last time that that will probably be the case because they were eliminated uh, this weekend so my voice should be back to normal by next podcast but anyways on this episode we're going to be diving into episodes 314 through 316 which will cover manga chapters 432 through 435. And yeah, get ready for some bombshell reveals about Luffy and the One Piece world at large in this particular episode. Anyways, so let's get on with the synopsis. With the reveal that Luffy has a grandpa and that he also just happens to be a Marine Vice Admiral hero, which is an insane reveal, but it's just one reveal after another with the reunion of Kobe and Helmeppo and some new details about Luffy's father coming to light as well. The entire city parties it up in a celebration of their victory and survival, but elsewhere in the Grand Line, a fateful meeting between two of the most powerful pirates take place. Alright, there are quite a few differences here, mostly just minor little added things. Like, the first one, which is actually a, a difference that I really enjoy in the anime, is that when Garp is explaining how he built up Luffy and trained him, and he, every time he says something... It the anime actually shows Luffy being thrown into that environment and him just going, Wah! and just screaming, which is really funny. There's also a lot of flashbacks from the past episodes dotted throughout all three of these episodes, whether it be relating to Shanks, Luffy, Kobe, Helemeppo, uh Logtown or Dragon, whoever. They're, the flashbacks are all kind of just inserted in there to buy more time as well as flashbacks to the escape from Ines Lobby as well. This is a really minor change, but at the end of the party when Luffy is asking Robin to do the nose chopsticks, there's uh there's one more line that's added by Luffy where he's like that that's like so I I forgot what exactly he says, but he goes something to the effect of that's a little too far or that's a little much. And then when we get to the beginning of episode 316, Everything up until the title card is all filler with all that stuff with the train station attendance again, and then there's a couple more scenes of the party that are added, and it doesn't actually get to the canon material until we actually see Shanks and Whitebeard. And speaking of which, when Shanks and Whitebeard clash, they for some reason left out the dialogue that's similar to what happened on the Whitebeard side, where one of the lesser crew members asks if they're about to start a war. But in the other side with Shanks' crew, another similar thing happens where one of the um, lesser crew members says a very similar thing. And then instead of Marco, Yasop on Shanks' side reassures everyone that Shanks wasn't there to fight just like Marco does with his men. And then in the manga after the Whitebeard and Shanks moment, it shows us where Blackbeard is. But in the anime, it saves that for another episode down the line. And I won't get into too much of that since that's pretty big spoilers. So, Also, the scene where Iceberg and the other Galileo guys come to help Frankie build the new ship, that is moved slightly from after the aforementioned Whitebeard and Blackbeard scenes to after when the Straw Hats start reading the newspaper. So originally the sequence goes is it's Whitebeard and Shanks is meeting. Then you get to see where Blackbeard is. And then you get to see where Iceberg and uh, the Galileo guys come and help Frankie but that scene is moved after the newspaper scene. And then there's that added little montage of Sanji, like, imagining what his wanted poster would look like. So, those are all the differences that I found. So, let's jump into my thoughts. And yeah, everyone is in absolute shock that Luffy has a grandpa and that it's Garp. To be fair, so was I. Like, I was pretty shocked about this reveal as well. Not only that, Luffy seems to be legit intimidated, even afraid of Garp, and tells everyone not to touch Garp, which, of course, is surprising to see Luffy actually scared, like this scared. And one of my favorite moments of this whole thing is when Luffy says that on several occasions that he was almost left for dead by Garp, and Garp defends himself, saying that he did those those things like throw him down a pit, throw him into a jungle, or tie him to a balloon, all to make him stronger. And while this is pretty funny dialogue in the manga, but in the anime, like I mentioned in the differences section, we get this accompanying imagery of each time a little Luffy gets thrown in and him screaming, "Yeah, yeah <laughs> It's pretty funny. And the anime really adds to the comedy of this scene for sure. And I love this. Sanji rightly points out why, you know, why Luffy is actually so tough and has such high vitality because of this upbringing. But it was all all in hopes that Luffy would become a great marine like Garp himself. But obviously, Luffy wanted to become a pirate due to his admiration of Shanks. And this scene gets even funnier when Luffy barks back to Garp about talking badly of Shanks. Then Garp gets angry and Luffy basically is like reduced to a child. He's like, ah! <laughs> and gets scolded. It's pretty funny to see, our, you know, this like our tough protagonist who just... Basically, destroyed Luchi, get like reduced to like a child here. Then, just then, as everyone is panicking, Luffy is about to be captured. Luffy and Garp both experience narcolepsy, much like Ace. So, I guess this trait runs in the family <laughs> and they just kind of fall asleep. Garp then drops a bit of new exposition surrounding Shanks and sort of his standing in the world. And this was something that's never really like fleshed out. We knew Shanks was a big deal and he was a strong pirate, but here we kind of really get to understand like what kind of pirate Shanks is. And Garp goes on to explain that in the vastness of the Great Pirate Age, there is an elite group of pirates that reign over the second half of the Grand Line, like emperors, and they're appropriately named the Four Emperors, or Yonko. Yon meaning four in Japanese and Ko mean is short for Kote. Or Emperor in Japanese. And much like the Shichibukai, I'll be referring to these four as the Yonko going forward. And much of the community basically refers to them as the Yonko as well. And yeah, we recognize two of the four in the silhouette behind Garp when he mentions the Yonko. Shanks and Whitebeard are obvious, but there are two more as you can see what looks like a fat person. And one you really can't make out all that much in the lower left corner. It's then explained that the Shibukai were originally created so the Marines could sort of balance out the powers of these four pirate crews, which makes it insane to think that these four are even stronger than the might of the Marines and the Shibukai put together. The three groups kind of balance out the superpowers in the world, at least in the Grand Line. And this is a very interesting sort of political dynamic between these groups, especially with the fact that... The second half of the Grand Line is apparently just completely ruled over by these four emperors. And the marines have basically been sort of reduced to relying on other pirates to somehow balance out the scales. So that they can somewhat stay in in competition with the Yonko. And like Nami says, it kind of puts Shanks into a whole new light. We already knew Shanks was strong considering he's on equal footing with Mihawk. But even beyond one of the four strongest pirates in the world. I mean, that's just crazy when you really think about it. Anyways, this concept of the Yonko is important for the remainder of the rest of the story. So keep these guys in the back of your mind. So I mentioned in the last episode, it didn't make sense why they added the scene of Zoro being attacked by those little thugs on the beach. But I forgot that it led to this moment where this is... This is actually how Zoro found his way back to the Galila company after getting lost for so long. And because this moment of him being helped led back to the Galila uh, company headquarters is in the manga, their initial encounter makes more sense in the context of the anime because they added that in to sort of explain this gag. Otherwise, in the manga, you don't see that initial encounter. And so Zoro just kind of off screen ran into these guys and beat them up. And then <laughs> then, then they led him back to the Galila company. But yeah, Zoro not understanding the situation. And sees a whole battalion of marines surrounding the area. Just starts to attack his way th- towards the house. Seeing this opportunity, Garp sends Helmeppo and Kobe to sort of test them. And Helmeppo takes on Zoro while Luffy tries to stop Zoro. He gets attacked by Kobe. Hilomepu is definitely a lot more capable now, as he can sort of take on Zoro, but he is quickly taken down. While Kobe surprisingly can use Soro, which is awesome, but he is still no match for Luffy. And yeah, Kobe looks completely different, all grown up and super strong, and actually pretty like confident and manly. And it's so nostalgic seeing Kobe again like this, and and how warm and friendly Kobe still is, and how much admiration he still has for Luffy and Zoro. Luffy's reaction is hilarious as he can't believe what he's seeing. Kobe is now a sergeant major, while Helmeppo is a sergeant. They aren't quite officer level yet. They're getting pretty close, though, at just a couple ranks below what would be considered an officer, which is a long way from you know from where they were as you know starting off as chore boys at the very beginning when they left them at Shellstown. And I can't tell you how happy it makes me to see Kobe and Helmeppo here. And to see their reunion with Zoro and Luffy, it's just kind of crazy how full circle it's come around from the very first episode of the entire series. More than 300 plus episodes and nearly nine years in real time has basically passed. It's still so sweet and heartwarming how Kobi is a little nervous to ask, even though they're on opposing sides that are they still friends? And when Luffy confirms that, that they still are, it brings them so much relief and happiness. And it's so great, like... Like I mentioned in the differences section, this scene is not actually in the manga. So I really like that it's added in here. In fact, I kind of I think I forgot to mention this in the differences section. So I'm glad I re- remembered here. It's also funny how they don't recognize Meppo one bit and it pisses him off, which kind of makes sense because Helmeppo is almost completely different. Like it's it's kind of unrecognizable even more so than Kobe, especially with those like weird sunglasses he's got on. This next scene is pretty funny and a nice character development moment for both Garp and Luffy. Garp hilariously orders his soldiers to start fixing the wall that that he broke to make this his grand entrance and they get all upset complaining that they're going to have to fix it. Why even break it in the first place? And Garp just states because it looks cooler, which is so Luffy, you know, when it comes to like how he approaches making an entrance. It particularly calls back to his stubborn reasoning for wanting to go up the reverse mountain because going in the front feels better. (laughs) And the cool thing is the implication of how, you know, how Garp is as a leader, though, is really showcased as, you know, his subordinates are comfortable enough to criticize and talk back a little to someone as high-ranking as Garp. And very similar to Luffy, you know, with his crew and how they can, you know, just challenge him whenever he says or does something stupid and then also how he get kind of gets down in the weeds and actually helps them fix the wall with with them you know which you start to see where luffy kind of is has learned and acquired his leadership style and and sort of his values when it comes to his quote-unquote subordinates even though the crew is probably not really subordinates to luffy but i like seeing that this is you know how luffy was raised and how he was shown to to exhibit sort of the leadership qualities. But here is where the crazy stuff starts happening. So when he's fixing the wall. Garp drops another bombshell of a reveal. He mentions that Luffy ran into his dad in Logtown. And Luffy doesn't even know he had a dad. Which is strange in and of itself. And I, yeah I guess he was mostly an absentee father. Which is really weird. And I guess Luffy grew up an orphan because we've never had a mention of his mom as well. And we never see her during the flashback. It seems like the more so Makino and the mayor were kind of looking after Luffy for the most part. But it turns out that his dad was that cloaked guy in Logtown that saved Luffy from Smoker. And it turns out his name is Monkey D. Dragon, which is an insane name when you think about it. Like the dude's name is Dragon. And we also learn that he's a revolutionary. And everyone seems to know who Dragon is and is shocked but Luffy, who doesn't know anything about any of this. And he doesn't have any idea what anyone's talking about when it comes to the revolutionary either. And for us, the audience, for once we identify with Luffy as he has Robin explain to us what a revolutionary is. And the distinction between pirates and revolutionaries are that they, the pirates, just do what they want but avoid confrontations with the world government and Marines. But the revolutionaries, their specific goals are to take on and overthrow the world government. And Luffy's dad, Dragon is their leader of the revolutionary army. And this kind of starts to explain the, the lineage that Luffy comes from and why he might have been destined for greatness. I mean, it's, it's crazy that Dragon is the leader of the revolutionary army while His grandfather, Garp, is the Marine Vice Admiral hero, and then his brother, Ace, is the second-in-command of a Yonko pirate crew, the White Beard Pirates, and Luffy himself is making quite a name as a pirate now that he's basically invaded and declared war on the world government. And I seriously can't believe the weaving of story elements from throughout the entire series that Oda is doing right now, and sort of the massive reveals he's dropping, and... We're not quite done yet. We'll get more uh, reveals later. But yeah, this idea of the Revolutionary Army is a very intriguing one because it adds another layer to sort of the, the political intrigue that's happening in the world of One Piece. And I feel like Oda is really using this point to really expand the world of One Piece at this point because... You not only have everything that's happened to the Straw Hats, you have everything with the Marines, but now you're starting to see how there are several pockets of people doing things completely, almost completely unrelated to the main story with Luffy and the Straw Hats, and they all have their own goals. And you honestly probably could do an entire series based around those specific people, whether it be Ace, whether it be Shanks, or Dragon, and it would be just as interesting. And it creates this like incredibly like wide lived in feel like where things are just happening. And and it's not just that they're happening. It's like you want to know what's happening at this point because Oda does such a good job of sort of integrating and weaving this sort of larger narrative into the story. But anyways, now that Garp is sort of <laughs> settled down in terms of just unloading bombshell after bombshell. Things settle down a bit and Luffy and Kobe get a chance to talk and catch up, which is really cool. And the first thing we learn is that Kobe and the rest didn't go up the reverse mountain and instead the marines have a way to cross the calm belt by using Seastone on their ships, which makes a lot of sense why the marines seemingly can go in and out of the Grand Line with ease. And we get our first mention of Dr. Vegapunk, the marine and world governments for famous head scientist and presumably... The person that has been sort of mentioned thus far by the likes of Miss Merry Christmas and Bluno as the scientist who's been studying and researching the devil fruits and such and creating all this technology and weird scientific experimentation with the devil fruits. And this is another name you should pay very close attention to for the rest of the series. I'll leave it at that. Uh, During this conversation though, Nami is sort of bugging the conversation and seeing if she can glean any sort of good intel from Kobe on the marines or the world government. Which she does concerning the Seastones as she now learns this is how they get across the calm belt so easily. But as Luffy compliments how tough Kobe has become. And Kobe reminisces over how Luffy gave him the courage and saved his life to pursue his dreams. Nami has this really sweet look of warmth hearing about how yet another person was saved by Luffy's kindness and courage. And eventually Nami just stops listening and goes to the pool to swim as she realizes that this is a private moment between them and that she shouldn't listen anymore. And I really like that, you know, from all the characters. And it's a really sweet moment. This scene makes me really feel all warm and fuzzy inside, as do most moments with Kobe. And with that, though, Kobe needs to get going, but not before we get introduced to yet another important concept that will play a big part later on in the series, the concept of the second half of the Grand Line, dubbed the New World. And if you remember back to this sort of the geographical layout of One Piece and the world that its inhabits, one axis is circumferenced by the Grand Line, which is that strip of water that's uh, encompassed by both the comm belts on either side. And on the other axis, although in reality they cross each other more like an X, and not so much a cross, but the red line splits the Grand Line in half And they're all still in the first half, while the other half contains even stronger challenges and, of course, the Yonko rule over those seas as well. So it presents a new set of challenges for us and the Straw Hats to look forward to, much like how back in the East Blue, we were always looking ahead to the Grand Line and it's sort of setting and hyping the Grand Line up. Now that we're in the Grand Line, it is beginning to start, you know, to hype up the second half or the New World, just as he did while he was in the East Blue Which again is incredible foreshadowing and foresight on his part to start prepping for that. Because to be honest we don't actually see the new world for a while. But then we get an insanely cool moment that I love. As Kobe rather intimidatedly declares his ultimate ambition of becoming a marine admiral. Which he even realizes just how absurd that dream is at this point in time. But Luffy always the optimist has the absolute most faith in Kobe. As Luffy knows, if Kobe is going to face him, then Kobe's going to need to be as strong as an admiral to take down the future pirate king. And I think this moment kind of exemplifies why I love Kobe so much. Not just because he's a cool and likable character, but because he's who I most closely identify with in real life and could realistically see myself, you know, as sort of an aspirational character. Someone who's not destined for greatness with a crazy family or mystical powers like Luffy or many others in the series, but someone who is normal or even started out as weak and pathetic, but someone who is kind and has a good heart that works incredibly hard to be great. Yet he's still at times unconfident and unsure of himself, but still pushes past those traits and faces any challenge with grit and humility. And I think that's the key thing I love about Kobe is how humble he is, despite now possessing some real power and a decent rank in the Marines. He's still incredibly humble and appreciative of everything and everyone that's that comes across him. And, you know, we all want to strive to be sort of like the Luffy's and Zoro, Nami, Sanji, or even like Shanks, you know, in the story because they're the cool guys, the strong guys. But, you know, the more I read One Piece and the older I get, it's like, I want to be Kobe. Like, someone who's not gifted and has been through incredible hardships in the world but hasn't become jaded or cynical and still appreciates life with kindness and humility. And Kobe even understands sort of the dark side of the marines and the world government as he kind of reflects on the state of where Luffy and the Straw Hats are after the Lobby incident as we see when he and Helmetpo are kind of by themselves in the crow's nest. And he's seen firsthand the wrongs of the marines and the world government as evidenced by his experiences with Captain Morgan. And, you know, obviously Helimepo as well. Helimepo mentions to him, then, just advance to a rank where you can change things. Again, foreshadowing what Oda has in store for Kobe much later down the line. I can easily see a world in which Kobe takes over the Marines as the fleet admiral or something else altogether. And someday makes them truly a just and fair peacekeeping force that they were originally meant to be or I guess they weren't originally meant to be that since the world government created the marines to sort of be an oppressive force, but to change them into something better. And I seriously can't wait to see what's in store for this rivalry when we eventually see this paid off, which I'm assuming has to be towards the end of the series, whenever that will be. We then get our usual post-arc celebration party with everyone gathering, even if dressed as Soga King gets in on the party And even though he's been sort of hiding from them ever since Mary's funeral, it's nice to see that he's back. However, during the party, something surprising happens. Aokiji shows up just to speak to Robin in secret and to ask her why she didn't run this time like like all the other times. And then goes on to tell her that Saul was actually his close friend, which Robin was kind of shocked to hear given that he's the one that ultimately killed Saul. But that explains a lot why Saul was so passionate when confronting Aokiji on that fateful day about how he can still be proud to call himself a marine after the buster call as well as the reason why Aokiji let Robin go. It was his final way to honor the wishes of his close friend Saul and gave Robin a chance to prove Saul right. However the reason he came after her during Long Ring Long Land and the events of Water 7 in Lobby was because after 20 years she became too dangerous, turning to a life of crime and piracy, which brought him to attacking them on Long Ring Long Land and sending the CP9 after them. Even though this moment is tense, there is a small sense of warmth about this that Aokiji is happy that Robin has finally found a tree or home to plant herself to and leaves with the message that Ohara still lives on with Robin. And yeah, I mean... I I knew I already knew this, but Aokichi is definitely one of the good ones for sure. But seriously, can the Marines not get a taller bike for this man? Like, the way he pedals, <laughs> it looks really uncomfortable with his abnormally long legs. <laughs> Anyways, the, the episode ends with Robin seeing her new family, calling for her, and seeing her friend Saul's words being fulfilled is really an amazing conclusion to her story. I mean, she's so grateful, and in fact that it's it's implied that Robin even tried the nose chopsticks and I would have loved to have actually seen this because you hear even Luffy is a little apprehensive that she didn't have to go that far implying that maybe she used her powers to maybe go way overboard with how she's inserted the chopsticks I don't know and that's left to our imagination but it's pretty funny to to, to hear Luffy even kind of being shocked Alright, so for this next part, I'm going to skip over all the filler content at the beginning of episode 316 until we get to the meat of this episode, which is everything related to Shanks. So Marijua and the Gorose are freaking out that the two Yonko-level pirates, Shanks and Whitebeard, are about to meet despite their best efforts to stop them. And this moment was actually set up way before, even before Skypia during Jaya, where we saw Shanks send one of his crew members Rockstar to deliver a message to Whitebeard but Whitebeard got pissed and told him that if he wants to talk he should show up himself with some good booze and that's exactly what Shanks is doing here. The minute Shanks boards the ship a few of the Whitebeard pirates begin to pass out which is crazy that Shanks is strong enough that his mere presence is enough to make people pass out. We then get some exposition from Marco and Joe's that Shanks hockey is what's causing this and that Shanks has a considerably strong Haki. So the thing about Haki here, with its first official mention by name in the series, I at the time did not know that this was anything like an ability or something that it it will sort of go on to be referred to as. Um, However, the translations and the subtitles now identify it as something specific as it doesn't translate the word Haki itself and leaves it as is. So this might be a little bit spoilery, but when I first read this, I just thought when they say Shanks had considerable Haki, I just thought that they meant that Shanks had a very powerful spirit, which is what the word Haki actually translates to if it's used normally. And this is a common trope you see in anime where a person with sort of this immense strength and spirit who can sort of overwhelm or intimidate people just by their mere presence and command that they have. But in One Piece, this concept is an actual thing that people possess and can sort of manipulate which is why the translation these days don't actually translate the word haki and just leaves it as is and we've already seen this being used at the very beginning of the series in fact if you remember back to when shanks saves luffy it's this haki that scares off the sea king when shanks just sort of stares it down all intimidatingly it wasn't just because shanks had a mean looking expression on his face it's because shanks was actually using his haki to scare it away However, I don't mind saying this now because I don't think it's really all that spoilery. The reason being is that while originally, especially in Japanese, I didn't think this was an actual ability because when you read the word haki, you just think, oh, Shanks is just a powerful guy with a very oppressive and intimidating presence. Now that I've gone back and read the manga, even in Japanese, it clearly has quotes around the word hockey, which I never even realized, which leads me to believe that obviously Oda always meant it to be more than just sort of the standard meaning of hockey. And it sounds really obvious now, but I feel really stupid for thinking otherwise, you know, at the time back in like whatever it was, 2007 or 2008, when this originally uh, was published. Also, as a side note, we get to see Marco continue his glow up throughout the series and now he's actually his correct hair color which is sort of the more orangish blonde hair as opposed to the black that they had him when he first appeared and we also get our first look at Jozu as well although right here he's kind of unnamed so me saying his name I guess could be construed as spoilers but not really Jozu is the big guy standing next to Marco who has pretty much the only other person that has lines moving on This is a really interesting scene that works to build up the world outside of the Straw Hats, like I mentioned earlier, and sort of the the past pirate age, as well as the age of Roger. And Whitebeard then brings up Buggy, and it gives you the sense that Shanks and Buggy were actually better friends than expected, because I remember when I was reading this, up till this point, I always thought that Buggy and Shanks were just kind of, they just kind of tolerated each other. And they were really loosely connected by virtue of just being on the same ship. But the way Whitebeard and Shanks talk about them in the past makes it seem like they were always seen together and fighting together as young pirate apprentices. And even though Buggy has always kind of resented Shanks, it seems like from Shanks' perspective, he actually liked and respected Buggy and that they were actually pretty good friends. And enough to ask him to join him when Roger was executed, and I was really surprised by this. I don't know, I don't really have that much commentary on this, but it was just kind of something that really surprised me when I first saw that. And it sort of made me reevaluate like how I see Buggy and Shanks. Oda then takes the time to sort of build up Shanks' strength, status, and infamy even more by reminding us of his duel with Mihawk. Whitebeard then asks Shanks about his left arm and what happened to it, and Shanks just smiles and remarks that he bet it on the next era, warmly remembering Luffy, which is a pretty cool thing. Shanks then pivots the conversation to the most interesting and ominous part of the conversation. He talks of his triple-slash scar on his left eye and remarks that it's the only scar on him that still throbs, and if you remember, just to a couple minutes ago, Whitebeard said... A similar thing that seeing Shanks reminded him of a scar most likely also inflicted by Blackbeard now I'm assuming Shanks means metaphorically and not physically because of more so because of what it represents as he makes it sound like it was more of an underhanded and sneak attack more so than scarred by a fair fight. The next crazy thing we learn is that Blackbeard was part of the Whitebeard pirates and must be where he got. His idea for his name? I mean, I, you know, it's like a guy named Blackbeard would have taken his name from his old Captain Whitebeard. <laughs> but again, Shanks paints a picture of Blackbeard that he's a guy that hides in the shadows and just kind of waits for his moments to strike. As he was hiding in the shadows of Whitebeard, amassing power and strength before setting out on his own. And here's where we get to the crux of this meeting, though. Shanks came here to ask Whitebeard to call off Ace from pursuing Blackbeard, but Whitebeard doesn't take too kindly to this as he feels it's absolutely necessary to make Blackbeard pay for killing one of his crew members. Whitebeard here calls his crew his sons, and if you notice that his crew just calls him old man, but in the sense of a father, not just an old person. In Japanese, it's much clearer as they use the term oyaji which is a very casual way of saying father, something similar to calling someone like Pops here in America. He very much treats his crew like they're his family, which goes to explain why the betrayal of Blackbeard cuts so deep and why both Ace and Whitebeard are so intense and intent on bringing him to justice because it was like brothers betraying each other. Seeing as how they're both at an impasse, they decide to just down their drinks and then clash swords Although this doesn't seem like an actual attack as Marco and, and I, like I mentioned in the manga, Yasop also mentions that neither of them really intended on actually hurting each other. But this is more just sort of an intimidation and frustration tactic, I think. But both their power is so immense that even just them clashing their swords results in the sky splitting, which is insane. But it looks like this is more just venting and frustration, like I mentioned, than an act of will to fight. And yeah, I got to say anytime these big hitters come on screen, it really does perk your eyes and ears up just because of the gravity and place they hold in the overall power structure of the world, especially just having learned that these two are two out of the four most powerful pirates in the world to the point where the Marines will send entire fleets and failing just to prevent them from even speaking directly to each other. I think one of the greatest strengths of Oda's storytelling and One Piece is this sort of sense that the world outside of the Straw Hats is still in motion, like I mentioned. And these things that are even bigger than the Straw Hats are happening, which makes it feel very lived in. And I mean, when Oda gets you just as excited for a conversation between two side characters that have only had a handful of appearances, that's when you really know that this is something special. And the other thing that's so awesome about this scene is that in addition to the world building, it gives us a taste of the power that the Yonko possess. And this wasn't even them actually fighting. It was more of them just kind of posturing. And even that was enough to freaking split the sky. And it also introduced the idea of Haki. And one genius thing about this scene, along with the Mihawk destroying Zoro or Aokiji manhandling the Straw Hats, is that it sets up in our mind what potentially the top of the power levels of One Piece could be. And because we clearly see that all our straw hat, you know, heroes are much, much weaker than these people, and it kind of sidesteps one of the biggest issues that many shonen anime slash manga series run into, which is power creep. You know, instead of having sort of new power ups show up left and right out of nowhere, Oda has already given us a taste of what the power level of the straw hats could potentially face, and what they're also eventually capable of. So when they do get power-ups, it doesn't seem as much of an ass-pull out of nowhere like other series. Now, that's not to sort of insult or denigrate other series like Naruto, Dragon Ball, or Bleach, because I love them all. But you have to admit, though, some of the power-ups that they get just really do seem like they come out of nowhere, especially later on in those respective series. And so when you see, like, a new Hollow transformation or, like, a new Super Saiyan transformation... (laughs) it it, kind of rolls your eyes. But in One Piece, you're just like, oh, they're finally reaching that level because we've already seen it. Like, it's not just something that comes out of nowhere. So when and if Luffy manages to be able to, you know, use Haki or when Zoro is able to sort of split an entire ship in half, that's not going to be so ridiculous because we know that people in the world of One Piece are capable of that. Moving back to Water 7, though, the new newspaper is deliberate, and really the only thing to note about this uh, at the moment is that it's implied that Aokiji somehow pulled the strings to make sure that the Frankie family and the Galila company weren't implicated in the attack on the NES lobby, lending to the prevailing thought that Aokiji is definitely one of the more honorable Marines and kind of sees sort of the more nuanced approaches to what the Straw Hats were trying to do and understands the situation better than most. Next, we get to see Frankie working on building the new ship as Iceberg and the other Galileo company guys show up to help, which is really cool to see them not only working together again, but also the respect that the current Galileo guys show towards the legendary Tom's workers was also a really cool thing to see as well. Lastly, we get a little comical scene where, with the time that they have while Frankie and the others are building the new ship, Nami wants to do some shopping, but it turns out Luffy gave the money away to the citizens of Water 7 for the party and, of course, Nami beats the ever-living shit out of him. And this might be the most beat-up we've ever seen Luffy. Like, his face is so swollen and bruised here. It's hilarious how bad his face looks. And although I don't believe it's ever mentioned at this point, but in the manga, the narrator actually tells us that it's going to take five days to build the new ship. And the Straw Hats take a slight vacation, having fun on Water 7 during this time. However... As we see in the next few episodes, and we'll talk about in the next podcast, the anime actually uses this opportunity in these five days to sort of insert a couple filler episodes. So we'll talk about that on the next podcast, and then we'll get back to the main story. But yeah, if you did enjoy this, send me a like or comment. If you want to join me on this journey of rewatching One Piece, please consider subscribing. Also, if you could leave a like and or review on whatever platform that you're using that allows that then yeah that would be greatly appreciated as well check out my instagram and twitter account at SunnyGoPodcast if you want updates of when i post new episodes or see some pictures of my manga collection and i wanted to thank you for taking the time to listen to my podcast and there's going to be a a spoiler section so I'll, i'll talk about a few things there but if you don't want to listen to any of that stay safe out there and i hope to see you on the next episode Bye. All right. So spoiler section. So yeah, this part's going to be largely unscripted. So it's just going to be mostly me rambling. But there's a lot to talk about in these episodes as this, these episodes kind of basically lay the groundwork and sort of this, this plant the seeds for the rest of the entire series, from here on out, the next like seven, eight hundred episodes, it's basically everything you see here. Is The seeds gets planted. And yeah, the first thing obviously is the introduction of the concept of the Yonko. And it's kind of funny when you really look back at those silhouettes that, that Garp shows behind him, how outdated those silhouettes are. Because Big Mom kind of looks like what she ends up looking like. You know, she is a very fat old lady looking pirate, but it's not really even all that close to what he is. And Kaido especially doesn't look anything like what he ends up being, you know, that big, tough, like brawny guy that that we eventually see in um just before the Wano arc. And so yeah, the these silhouettes are pretty funny to see in retrospect. And then here we get the first mention of Dr. Vegapunk, which is very interesting because currently in the in the manga in chapters 10, 61, and on, we actually are going to possibly finally get to see the real Dr. Vegapunk and interact with him. And so it'll be interesting to see, you know, how that all unfolds. But it's, I almost completely forgot that this was the first time he's actually named, dropped here. And yeah, it'll be really cool to see what becomes of Dr. Vegapunk because he is such a big sort of looming Person in the world of One Piece. At uh, the further we go, another cool thing is the fact that you know this is sort of the beginning, or not the beginning, but sort of the continuation of Kobe and Luffy's rivalry slash friendship. And when you look back at what uh, what their relationship is like, and how Garp was the is the person that's mentoring Kobe, and sort of what happened with him and Roger, and how their sort of friendship slash rivalry develops you know there is some sort of a mutual trust and um sort of connection between the two and it seems like it's sort of being mirrored with kobe and luffy albeit even a little bit more friendly just because both of them are a lot more friendlier and nicer people than roger and garp were but it is interesting to see how that mirror is sort of coming together and you get the sense that there might be a point where yeah kobe and luffy work together to take on, take down a And it's sort of kind of building out to be that that Blackbeard is kind of that threat with the, you know, Zebek D-Rocks um, basically being sort of that threat at God Valley. And you might see something very similar to that where Kobe and Luffy work together to try and take down Blackbeard. And then obviously the big thing here is the first introduction and use of Conqueror's Haki and, or Haoshoku Haki. And it's really, it's really interesting because this this is basically how it works for the rest of the series too, you know, of using your Haki to essentially overwhelm people with your will and make them pass out, which is something that Luffy will eventually uh, do and be able to use, as well as the sort of the, the sky-splitting clash. And we've seen that several times now in the series when two people with incredibly strong conquerors Haki clash and... The sky splits. Although here we don't see the black lightning that we'll eventually go on to see that Oda using to sort of represent this sort of type of clash. And obviously the most recently we've seen this is in the manga when Kaido and Luffy do it. And yeah, that was an awesome moment to, to see that come full circle where Whitebeard and Shanks do that. And then now we see Luffy is strong enough to go up against another Yonko in Kaido and do that exact same thing. And it and like I mentioned in the non spoiler section, it really sort of sets that up. Not only do you anticipate it, but it's also not it's not as like eye rolling that, oh what the heck, Loopy can all of a sudden use a power like this kind of thing. Because we know it's coming. We, we we've anticipated it. And then the last thing I kind of wanted to mention is that everything that Shanks warns Whitebeard about here comes to pass when you really think about it, you know, where he warns them that Ace is in danger and if he doesn't withdraw him, Ace will eventually be taken out, which again, Ace does get taken out by Blackbeard. And then Blackbeard also aims, starts aiming for the top once he gets there, you know, after Marineford. And he even gets the part where, where he, Blackbeard will take out Whitebeard himself. And yeah, technically he wasn't the, the whole reason why Black or Whitebeard was taken out, but he is the one that basically finishes him off with all the, the bullets and, and then having his subordinates and his crew basically just stab him like a million times. And then he's the one that takes his devil fruit. And so, yeah, he, he literally supplants Whitebeard by taking his power and taking his spot in the Yonko as well. And so everything that Shanks warns Whitebeard about actually comes to pass when it comes to white, or Blackbeard, which I find really interesting as well. And so, yeah, that's pretty much everything I kind of wanted to talk about. I made this a little bit shorter because I know this this episode is also going really long. But yeah, thanks for listening and sticking through it. And I'll see you on the next episode. See ya.